0: Love day, night loving, we're a nice machine. We see people, brand new people. There's something to see We're night love day, bright white love day.
1: Hey, hey!
2: Hello. How you
1: going? What a smooth entrance.
2: Smooth as a baby's bum.
1: That's what she said. Uh How exciting! Good to be back, guys. This is Jay Jovi. I'm
2: Sammy Hardon. This is the 80s Montage. Very excited to be here and announcing this new episode we've got.
1: We have been putting this off for ages and I think we've been putting it off for ages because we just wanted to get it right because we have so much love and respect for this lady. Mm-hmm. Grace Jones, everybody. Grace that's Jones. Right. There is not another one like her.
2: No, that's right.
1: And she's sort of, she's inspired so many artists in the generation sort of since the 70s and 80s when she first sort of launched. And um, like you look at Lady Gaga, you look at Nicki Minaj, there's so many of those sort of artists where they're pushing the envelope. Do you reckon
2: Nicki Minaj would even know who the fuck Grace Jones was? Oh, no, James yeah. Was? No, really? she's definitely,
1: definitely. Yeah, definitely. a Grace Jones is definitely a good. huge influence. Glad. She tries.
2: You know? Well, I, I I thought you know today I was thinking and I thought who's the white version of fucking Grace Jones? The only one I could think of was Yoko Ono. Oh, okay. Just being avant-garde and artistic and okay. walking on thin ice. She,
1: it's, she's just so hard to pin down. She's oh, amazing. like she, you. You cannot say. You can't particularly say Grace Jones is a model. You can't say she's a musical artist. She can't say she's an actress. She's just an icon. She's just incredible. Mm. And I Mm. remember um, a a couple of years ago now in the noughties I believe, Maddie and I um, in our band Night Version supported Mm. her at the new opening of a resort up north called the Alandra and it was sort of a boutique – Resort. They were sort of pushing for six star, but they were never going to be six star. And um, beautiful resort. And I remember I had New Year's Eve with these people, the people that owned it, who was um,
2: Katrina they, Knowles and her yeah, husband,
1: Katrina Knowles and her husband mm. um, Adam. Yeah. And um, they they um, they had just bought this resort. They were zhuzhing it up with this sort of Melbourne uh, interior designer here that they were flying up and we were talking about she said like i just want to have this she mm. said said to me I, I i just want to have this massive opening it's just got to be the the hugest event i don't care she said it just it has to be right and mm. she said cuz we were we we're playing it was new year's eve mm. we we're playing music all all night for each other we just had a real click we had a real affinity it was just amazing and and um she had amazing taste in music and mm. she said this she said i'd she said, "I'd love to get Bowie, she, I, yeah, because we we're playing yeah. Bowie." And I said, "Yeah, you know, you could get Bowie, mm. said, because she said money is no object as well." Yeah, well, she was
2: thing. very wealthy.
1: Yeah, and um, I said, "You mean that? You really mean that?" And she said, "Yeah." She said, "For this, money is no object. Who who we get to open this?" And um, I said, "Well, you could get Bowie." I said, "But you know what it'd be like heaps cooler." And she said, "What?" I said, "If you got Grace Jones." And um, she said, "Oh my God, that's fucking perfect. Yeah. That's absolutely perfect mm. because the the design for the hotel was like an African influence, like oh, an African fusion, beautiful. and it like fit in with Grace like completely." And I said, "So I said coincidentally, I said I've I you know I have a content who, a, a contact that's working on her next album, and I could sort of look into like putting you in in in
2: touch with Fuck her." Fuck with. Talking yeah, about <laughs> oh. Yeah. Fucking he did not. It
1: know was with. Oh, he had nothing to do with it. Nah. But um, yeah, so I, I, I sort of I said, look, if I if I can sort of make it happen, if I can help make it happen, all I want to do is be able to support her at the gig And she said, mm. No worries.
2: No, well, see, this is funny because this is where we crossed path where Katrina Knowles and I used to dance together at Chases. Mm. And Maddie said to her during the night, do you remember Sammy Paul? And she was like looking up at him going, yeah. Yeah. We didn't really get along until we did this fashion parade at Billboards. Yeah. And I sang a Jodie Watley song, um, Real Love. It was Real Love by Jodie Watley. And I can sound exactly like Jodie Watley and she – Fucking adored me she from would have that really day on. Respected you well she did, that. because I look like just a kid that was dancing at a nightclub. Katrina was very stylish. She was amazing and she was a huge Grace Jones fan. Now in saying that, we're looking at a time where Grace Jones was at her peak. Yeah. In the eighties. Yeah. Where people that were artistic or were hairdressers. Mm or had anything to do with art at all yeah. understood Grace Jones. Yeah. It wasn't about how good she sang, it wasn't about the songs, it was the art.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Her
2: husband at the time was a French guy, yeah? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll um we'll look into that a little yeah, bit. Okay. She's she's had sort of different husbands and partners oh, and okay. stuff that have that have like informed sort of certain parts of her career. So yeah. we'll look into that as we yeah.
2: go. But as you were going to doing this gig, I I stayed home, I remember. I think I stayed home for a stupid fucking gig. I think I should have gone.
1: For a lot of us as well, we were like We have – like all of my family wanted to go. They wanted to come. Mm. The only reason Ash got to come is because she had a profile, you know, and and it was a sort of celebrity party. Yeah. And um, I remember saying to the family, I just can't get you in. It it just – it had to be one of those nights where everything – went perfect, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it was uh, it, absolutely, It wasn't. Yep. It wasn't a gig where it was like fucking everyone come we'll get everybody there. It just wasn't like that, you know what I mean? That's not to say that like y- you…
2: I had a gig with the fucking yeah, wigs. Yeah. Yeah. It was strange, um, weird. Yeah, but it was interesting to hear how you went over yeah, the phone, yeah. you know.
1: But it was, yeah, it was absolutely… Um, amazing. She was phenomenal. She was I, – I could not believe that she made it to stage, that she was so incredible, that she was sort of playing this resort in the middle of nowhere and mm. we were all watching her, this like massive fucking icon, and then the next day I got to meet her. Yeah. And um, hang out very briefly, you know.
2: Well, this is the time where people started to work out that nostalgia paid the bills.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: So you could get Grace Jones for 40 grand if you really wanted her. Yeah. Because it was only really her and a backing track. I mm. don't know if she had a couple of drummers or whatever, but yeah. but everyone was a lot cheaper then because nostalgia wasn't so cool. But there was a brink in the 90s where you went, nostalgia's big again. Let's get these artists while they go up in price. Mm. Now it's a lot of money to get these people out there. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. But I remember thinking to myself, Grace Jones would probably be 40,000. Yeah. Now you're looking at something like the Screaming Jets at 40,000. You know what I mean? Like it's really.
1: You know how much she cost for this? How much? 300,000.
2: Oh, wow. To well, that's that good. Resource. That's good. I'm glad.
1: Now to go through, and I'm telling stories out of school, but we're doing the Grace Jones. Yeah, episode. that's right. 300,000. How many years ago was that? Oh, I I don't even know. It was in the noughties.
2: Oh, she would have come with bells on.
1: No, she came very reluctantly. Really? (laughs) Yeah, because I think one of her parents had passed away. Okay. Yep. So she was travelling with her entourage. She was travelling with her brother and her son and I think her aunt and um, then all of her band as well. So she had, you know, the entourage had to be paid for as well. So it wasn't just her, it was this big team of people. She wanted, as part of her rider, she wanted a 24-hour limo. Wow. She wanted um, at least 10 rooms in the hotel, which only had 55 rooms because it was like a boutique sort of high luxury sort of resort. She had 10 Of which she never actually stayed in Mm. any of them. Mm -hmm. She – it was part of the writer that she have another mansion off-site that they pay for um, and that they have a helicopter 24 hours as well. Wow. And 300 grand. And then she kind of threw a bit of a tantrum before she went on stage and she said – A couple of hours beforehand, she went to say, she said, I want half of it now in euros. And this is in cans. Wow. This is in fucking cans in the middle of nowhere. I want 150 grand.
2: Jesus. Now
1: in euros, right now in cash.
2: Because wow. I think
1: she sort of got there and just thought, this is fucking.
2: Yeah, well, that's right. This is going to be a, fucking you know, quack quacker. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly.
2: Well, that's yeah. the thing. And, and another thing is, it would have been expensive to do this night because there was no backline in these days. No. Like uh, instruments and drum kits and stuff. Right. Now they're everywhere in cans. Because yeah, yeah. we do cans with rewind 80s. Exactly. But the backline would have been. Thousands and of dollars. I had to
1: organise, it right? Because okay. I was the one from Cairns, and, the, and a lot you, of work. And They didn't know, so I'm calling all these fucking cowboys, trying to get yeah. like individual pieces of equipment, yeah, and get them to all work together. They and and they said, and they were happy to help once they knew I f- was from Cairns, but like they they wanted an invite to the parties. So oh yeah, so that's They, they right. came yeah. to the party. It was this was the most amazing party I've ever been to this right. night. The most amazing gig I've ever played. It still is.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It
1: was phenomenal. Yeah. It was fucking phenomenal. Yeah. She was amazing. Mm. She had such a great time. She sort of loosened up, you know, because she was sort of in mourning and and like not quite yeah. convinced by them. Oh,
2: that's horrible. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing with artists is you don't know what they're going through.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right.
2: And things can happen like that where, where their relatives die and they've got to go on stage. Yeah. And- it's fucking horrible yeah 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 you know
1: so look she had an enormous impact on on me and on us and this is why we sort of digress with with doing her before this to this point because it's sort of like, Very special for us, you know.
2: Yeah, the divine timing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, look, we've got quite a bit of music to play so we're going to sort of punch through but we'll we'll sort of set you up with a bit of backstory. So Grace Beverly Jones was born in uh, 1948. She's 75 years old. Yeah, amazing. She still looks amazing, still out there performing. She just released a single this year um, with – What's her name? That girl. I'll look it up.
2: <laughs> what Grace Jones has?
1: Yeah, she's re- released it with um,
2: Dua Lipa, M-
1: M- Janelle Monae, or whatever. Mm-hmm. A fucking, I've gotten that wrong. I've done. I've done a U. I've swapped it around. Yeah, she's
2: beautiful. That girl.
1: Nineteenth um, of May, nineteen forty-eight. She was born. She was born in Jamaica. So she brought this beautiful sort of Caribbean sound and sensibility to the world. She really did. Um, like in amongst the 70s and 80s where you had that sort of texture of um, Bob Bob Marley happening anyway on an international level. And she moved to the east coast of the US and her family eventually settled in New York. Uh, Her father was a minister, so she was always sort of – always had like a very strict upbringing, you know, strict. There was rules, certain things that you did. And she started rebelling against that from a very early age. And that's really important, sort of that like having the dad that was a minister having sort of religion a big part of her background and that's actually what sort of I guess ties her to Madonna in a way, I guess, in a mm. little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, in 1977 she began her music career with Island Records so Island Records is a big favourite of ours. Um, it is. You might want to sort of go back and check out our, our long term listeners. Did
2: we actually talk about Island Records? Oh, of
1: course we did. Oh in, wow! In um, episode one hundred and sixty, which is Peel the Label, where oh, we look wow. at some some awesome sort of. Um,
2: I'm even impressed with us.
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Right. Oh, well, this was your idea. I the, don't the record company. Remember one. that at all? Yeah, Island Records. So um, she signed up with them in nineteen seventy seven and got moving with her. Initial um, sort of musical career. It was the music, even though that wasn't the beginning of what she did in terms of her artistry. It's what brought her to the rest of the world, like the the music career. She she then used the sort of music platform to launch her into films. She did Conan the Destroyer in '84. She played Zula, very memorable in that. She was amazing, uh, still quite young in '84. Following year eighty five, she did a view to the kill, a view to a kill. She was a Bond villain. She played Mayday, ve- memorable mm-hmm. and pre- mm. perhaps the shittest Bond film, She was awesome. Yeah, um,
2: and Duran Duran were too.
1: Oh, exactly right. And she sort of forged a really strong bond Connection with Duran with them. Duran. Yeah, and that's ended up right. Collaborating with mm. them, you know. Eighty six, she did Vamp. She played um, oh, yeah. she played a vampire and Vamp, which is like you know perfect for her mm-hmm. and in 92 she did boomerang 92 we're going drifting into not the early early 90s obviously this would have been you know the beginnings developed in the 80s came out in 92 but the reason why we bring it up she was absolutely playing herself so the the helen Strange that you see in boomerang That is great, Grace Jones and you are hearing it from the horse's mouth because I fucking hung out with her and she is like a parody of herself in the best possible way. She is every single thing that you expect from Grace Jones, you get.
2: Now, do you want to do boomerang now or do you want to wait?
1: Boomerang, boomerang, the quote
2: boomerang? Like the actual footage we've got from boomerang. I'm not – yeah, oh, you
1: I want to play some more music. We've been oh chatting right. for a while. I want to come back to it because it's just fucking great. I actually think it's a beautiful bookend for the end. Yeah. Because it's, like, fucking fantastic. But, you know, then again, I love it so much. We'll, we'll probably just play it. Um, she – in her early teens in the late 70s, she started sort of rebelling against the minister father. She used to go to a lot of gay clubs with her brother because the brother was gay. Yep. I hope I'm not outing you. I'm sure I'm not. Um, the the um, uh, the brother was gay. She became part of the gay scene straight away, mm. without being a sort of um, a, a gay woman herself. You know, mm. she was really big on that scene because mm. it was fun. Um,
2: and it was she, artistic.
1: Yeah, exactly right. She took a she took a few theater classes very early in college when she enrolled in college. Um, so that sort of like acting sensibility and that sense of theatre was a really big for her and she s- started supporting herself while she was at college as a go-go dancer in the clubs. And you can imagine like a young teen, a sort of later teen, Grace Jones, as a go-go dancer in a fucking club in, in New York and Philadelphia where she was doing it. Would have been unbelievable. Mm. She would have been phenomenal. Mm. Um so she moved to Philadelphia, really got in with the hippie communes. Uh, she did a lot of LSD and she really actually cr- credits LSD with like expanding her mind and her horizons and all of that. She swears by it. She doesn't fucking um, apologize for any of that early early drug use. She said it just sort of it was imperative to her being an artist. So she then, um, after that experience, she moved back when she was 18. So all of this had happened before she was 18. Moved back to New York City and she started modelling. Was a really big hit on the modelling scene because she had such beautiful long legs and long torso and all of that. Um, She modelled for YSL on the catwalk amongst – you know, a big heap of other designers and she was doing a lot of photographic modelling. She's not as tall as you think. She's actually quite petite but she's got a, that amazing thing where she has long limbs but a short torso. So it gives you that illusion of somebody being really tall. So she looks amazing in photos. She was on the front cover of Elle and Vogue and she worked with um, Guy Bourdin, which is a photographer that she was um, – Worked with a lot during her career, and another guy called Helmut Newton. Do you know Helmut Newton? Another photographer. He's sort of of German background. He moved to Melbourne, and he had a he had a um, he fought in the war. He fought for Australia in the war after moving here from Germany, and um, had a photographic studio in Flinders Street. Wow. and um, I have
2: heard the name.
1: Yeah. You would know if you guys out there that are listening, if you Google Helmut Newton, Grace Jones and look at the sort of pieces of work, they're iconic. A lot of photographers
2: loved her because she was artistic. Yeah. And everything they wanted to shoot was in her whole persona.
1: That's right. Mm. She was very, very dark skinned Mm. as well. And Mm. this is sort of. For that to be celebrated on the world stage was a huge thing, mm. you know. They really made the most for it, first burp of the show, uh-huh. but not the last. <laughs> um so yeah, bit a of, bit of a Melbourne reference there with Helmut Newton. Now she lived in amongst the modelling. She lived in Paris with Jerry Hall and Jessica Lange in an apartment. God. Jessica, Jessica Lange, the amazing uh, actress who had yeah. her sort of beginnings in in modelling, and Jerry Hall, of course, another icon there. Um, and they used to hit the gay bars together in Paris. Can you imagine? Yep. And they used to hang out with uh, Karl Lagerfeld and Giorgio Armani. Um, she because of this sort of era, she was later called the queen of the gay discos, and you'll hear it in the first couple of tracks that we are mm-hmm. about to play. Mm-hmm. So, 1977, the, her first album is called Portfolio. This track is called I Need a Man. This was like the big single and sort of got some chart success. <laughs>
2: So this was the debut single.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Released absolutely. in France. Yeah, yeah. And very, very sort of disco. You know, solid down the middle disco. That's what she's going for. Now she would have been, if I'm getting my maths right, about twenty eight or twenty nine by this stage. Yeah. Greenous. So she she had done a hell of a lot of modelling.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. She was a model. Yeah. That's right. Yeah.
1: Um, Modeling and exploring and hanging out and being inspired and traveling and seeing things, you know. So what this I mean? is
2: 1975. This is
1: 77. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, she was born 48. So if I'm getting my maths right, I'm probably not. She would have been late 20s. So um, the thing is with her. With her musical releases, they were very close. She released an album every year, like bang, 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 bang. A lot was happening. I think once the sort of momentum started happening, people wanted to work with her. They saw the avenue as music as a more um, revealing way of just showing off her brilliance. In 1978, she had her second studio album release called Fame. We're going to play a track of fame called Do or Die.
2: Do or Die, here we go.
1: Go, I know you can hear the confidence building in the voice and everything I just love it you know these were a year apart now the year after in 79 she released Muse don't have anything with that we're going to play you from Muse because um, I wasn't sort of overly blown away by Muse there was still a lot of stuff happening but sort of not a not anything that I that really hooked me but um, so these are the three 70s albums that we're gonna sort of dot through and play for you before we move to the 80s stuff now Sammy you had something from the 1977 portfolio album you were gonna play um, a cover that she did now this is important to note because um, she, she I guess she she did something very classical in a way and that was sing a lot of covers. Because yeah. she was an amazing translator. you know she, she sort of brought a new tone to stuff that people already loved. Um, so she was very successful with her covers. And this is one from um, Portfolio. This is Lovey and Rose. <laughs> Obviously a very different take on Lovey and Rose from the sort of Edith Piaf. I love it. Yeah, classic. I
2: think musically it just lifts so much.
1: Yeah, beautiful.
2: You know. Yeah. That's why I started it from that area Mm. because (laughs) it's just beautiful, you know. A
1: lot of people know her from this.
2: Oh, fuck yeah. Well, the French guy that married her is the guy behind her.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's the
2: main thing is that he saw the creative.
1: Exactly. Exactly, yeah. We'll jump on to him right now actually. She's sort of um, uh, in 1980, so we're looking at a time where you're starting to get that anti-disco movement. And Yeah, so, that's right. And, and as we sort of move to school holidays and have a bit more time, me, but um, I really want to do The Death of Disco. We've had this sort of like on the list for a while and I want to really look yeah, at it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It'll take a bit of research to yeah. sort of get it right, but yeah, time we do it, I reckon.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right.
1: Um so she was she moved away from that sort of disco queen kind of thing that she was exploring. And she got more in touch with her Jamaican roots and it's just fucking incredible. The moment she ticks over into the 80s, you really, really get a sense of that iconic Grace Jones. Um, The 1980 album is called Warm Leatherette. Even the title is more inspiring. Um, She did a big, big heap of covers on this one as well. Um, she, this is famous for having Love is the Drug by Roxy Music. It's got a Smokey Robinson cover on there. She does um, a Pretender's cover called Private Life. And this is Private Life. I'm going to play it for you now, now from Warm Leatherette.
2: Oh, we are when Sammy can find it.
1: <laughs> this one's got an a, a really beautiful cover. The cover of this one, she's sort of in uh, black and white silhouette, and it's got sort of um, warm re- uh, warm leatherette written in red down the bottom, like a black and white effect. <laughs>
0: Your marriage is a tragedy, but it's not my concern. I'm very superficial. I hate everything official. Your private life. A desperate appeal now save your breath. Mm. Attachment to obligation, regret shit that's so wet. And your sex life complications are not my fascination.
1: I'm sorry, but that's fucking mind-blowing. I I I just love it so much. I just think that's mind blowing. You could, it is so timeless. You could release that now. Mm. You could play that now to a younger audience, and it would resonate.
2: Because it's honest.
1: Yeah, the narrative, the yeah. sense of narrative, the can't storytelling. Talk like
2: that to people, no.
1: Nah. You nah. can't
2: say your marriage is a shambles. Yeah. You know, you've got to pretend, oh, it's great.
1: Yeah. You
2: know? <laughs> yeah. Um, that's what I love about her is that everything was negative but it was true.
1: Just raw in that sort of European way. She really picked up on that European influence. I
2: want to for- talk about the guy that's behind her though.
1: Oh, yeah. We move to that right now. Yeah.
2: He's the main force. Without yeah. a doubt.
1: I think she's the main force but her collaborations with him were incredible. Yeah,
2: but the direction he got from him, she got oh, from yeah. him.
1: Yeah, that's was right.
2: Very, that's why she ended up in France and yeah, yeah, blah, yeah, blah, blah, yeah. blah.
1: So are you talking about Jean-Paul Goude? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, we move now to sort of 1981 where she would release the album Nightclubbing. Mm. So she'd begun sort of collaborating with Jean-Paul Goude in the lead up to this, you know what I mean, and she would have been out there sort of promoting the previous album. I'm not quite sure when they met, um, but she went on to sort of she she have a relationship with this guy. Yeah, they were very very close. Totally. So he, as you say, he was a big sort of driving force and a massive sort of influence on her career. Because
2: you've got to also remember that coloured people weren't that popular.
1: No, that's right.
2: We weren't buying that.
1: Yeah, no, that's right. And this
2: was a breakthrough artist. Yeah. And it needed to be artistic. And this yeah. guy loved her so much and just went, this is what we need to do.
1: I think, yeah, he re- he really mentored her in a way and sort of um – Tight saw her brilliance, and he just well, she was helped her to steer it, you know.
3: Yeah, and that's
2: the thing when you do end up marrying someone or you're in a relationship with someone, they do help you with your creativity Mm. and where you need to go. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, incredible guy. So, this album, guys, I guess is. Where, look, I, I really love Warm Leatherette as well. Like to me it's the sort of, it's like Michael Jackson's Off the Wall. Yeah, right. Where it's like that early, early album where you really get the goods before they become massive because on this album, on Nightclubbing, she became massive. The the um, This is the one where the, the front cover, she's um, – She's got she's got the flat top, she's got the cigarette in her mouth, she's yeah, got yeah, the yeah. sort of um beautiful tailored men's jacket and everything. It's very, very androgynous. And this is the sort of Androgyny that David Bowie was personifying. This is the androgyny that sort of Lady Gaga would go on to sort of try to imitate as well. You can really see well, the sort of influence she's having on like, very, later. Very,
2: very piss-take. Yeah, yeah. Mm.
1: The, you can see the influence, though, she's having on later generations, you know. Um, mm. the, the front cover of this album is iconic, beautiful sort of yellow mustardy background and she's sort of the way that they've – the way that they've done the photography is she's like very dark. She's 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 all she blends in with her sort of black suit that she's wearing. Beautiful, beautiful album cover, which is a, a very strong point to make for later album covers. So she um, does a big heap of covers on this one. So night clubbing the title track is a Iggy Pop David Bowie uh, track that she's covered. Um, She does an Astor Piazzolla track called I've Seen That Face Before. She does uh, Bill Withers, Use Me. Um, hasn't
2: everyone done Use Me?
1: Yeah, I think so, yeah.
2: Lenny yeah. Kravitz.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right.
2: So many people. It's a great song.
1: So we're going to play I've Seen That Face Before because I just love the instrumentation.
2: Here we go.
0: No.
1: Beautiful. I could listen to that on any day. It's just incredible.
2: Now, Paris is a big country for a lot of artists.
1: Mm, City, yeah.
2: Um, Jim Morrison was a huge Paris Mm -hmm. protege. Yeah. I've got hiccup. sorry. Um, It was the kind of place you went to to find your artistic integrity or something. Yeah, yeah. And um, I guess you met someone that was – From France or whatever and and that was very artistic in those years. They were very ahead of the times Yeah, (laughs) with France, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like it was
2: just fucking, you know, incredible that they were creative and there was photos and there was all this stuff involved. Yeah. That we didn't really do anywhere Mm. else in the world. Yeah, yeah. So starting in Paris was always a good thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. It was sort of, it was just... The thing about Paris is they weren't particularly concerned about keeping up with the rest of the world. So Not they at all. they had this beautiful culture. They weren't particularly concerned about like being American or being British or being anybody else but themselves. And so they they were able to sort of like incubate all these amazing artists and dancers and all this kind of thing. All the bodily functions, baby.
2: What's happening? I like I might have <laughs> hay fever.
1: Oh, well, it, it's spring now, isn't it? It's
2: weird. It's I never get hay fever like this. Ah. Was, was this 1982?
1: So this is still
2: 1981.
1: Okay. So she, as I said, she sort of was doing a big heap of covers. She also started co-writing on this album, which is great because she bought this one out, which is Pull Up to the Bumper. This one's sort of... Uh, I'm not even sure if it's an urban myth or it's just sort of uh, famous for being about this, but apparently it's about anal sex.
2: Yes, and we've got an interview with this one.
1: We do after this.
2: Well, I didn't put pull up to the bumper down. Oh, you didn't? No, I. You d- got to put pull put up the to the bumper
1: down. I just we, put the interview. When when she was, um, everybody would know pull up to the bumper. This is her very first sort of. Um, this is her very very first foray into writing, you know, because she was known not known as a cover artist. But I guess as a as a translator, this this was her first foray into uh writing. But she did this sort of interview while she was promoting nightclubbing on Russell Hardy. Russell Hardy was interviewing her and she lost her temper.
2: Oh, so we're gonna play that? Yeah, why not? All right, so um I have that interview. Pull off to the bumper, everyone. No, anyone that's not a Grace Jones fans will know pull up to the bumper. Um Have we skipped a whole lot of, of tracks? No. Nah. I've seen that face before. Here we go. Interview.
0: Are you wearing perfume? Hmm? Can you smell her at no, all? No, I've got my own body odour perfume.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Let's try and keep it on a slightly higher level if we make it. Angry no, really. Are we? Are you wearing perfume at no, 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 I, I very seldom totally right? do. No, wear no. no a if
3: you turn
0: your back no, one oh, minute, I, 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 really, I have got. to talk to this. has been to going this on too long already. Well, it's not. It's only going to go on in about another six minutes, and you're going to have another little part of it soon. But let, oh, let, maybe I should go right ex- now. No, don't, then. don't go right now unless you really want to. Well, don't turn no, your no, back on me. I can't
1: look at you. now hold, hold, hold. do go. Hold on, just a moment. Just, just, just,
3: just
1: move your chair back a bit or something. There you go. She beat the shit out of him.
2: Look, I've seen the footage, and I think it was very rude of him facing. He was. He was really
1: condescending and sort of just talking down to her. I don't know if he was doing it because. She was a woman or because she was black, black or that's I don't know. It really pissed me off. And she fucking she was incredible. She just like I mean, look, she's assaulting him at the end of the day, but like it was a different time. It was a different time. It was 1981. Um, but memorable, you know, like the the world got to see Grace for who she was. She was not to be fucked with. <laughs>
2: That's right. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's
2: uh, I think him facing I think it was a racist thing. I really think it was a racist thing.
1: Yeah. I think so too. You know,
2: like oh because well, she's breaking down a lot of ba- barriers for black artists at this stage. Yeah. You know, but she's dating a white guy. So she understands, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Funny, isn't it? Look, she was uh, continuing – she was continuing with the photographic modelling and that was, sort of a, that was sort of establishing and reinforcing and maintaining her status as well, you know, like the, the amazing images that she produced. So in 82 she would produce, she would release another album, 82 called Living My Life. We've got a track from Living My Life called My Jamaican Guy. This is pretty cool, this one. There we go, more of the Caribbean sort of influence and she only did a, did a couple of uh, covers on this album and she was doing, you know, a lot more originals coming through, which is really good, really establishing her her own sound even further. Um, and this is an incredible album cover. I, I keep mentioning the album covers because, like, they, they were becoming, like, really iconic pop 80s pop culture imagery. This is, I think, what made Grace like stamped her as an 80s icon, icon most of all. It's the album covers and the sort of um, amazing photos. Mm. You know, um, the the album cover of this is like like a really pronounced sort of cut off. Um, um, what are they? Flat top haircut that she's got. And she looks like a bloke. She looks like a – With the vi-
2: mechanical yeah, tongue? Yeah,
1: very – very, no, that, that one was after. Okay. So this is this one's quite simple. It's sort of like a, a really dark sepia um, of her with like – yeah, she's had her silhouette sort of cut out. It's really, really strong. So they're really going for the angles. Beautiful photo. So we'll move straight through to – Slave to the Rhythm. Now, um, the reason why there's a bit of a gap between living my life and Slave to the Rhythm is she did a heap of films. She did a heap of films in between uh, eighty-two and eighty-five. She did Conan the Destroyer. She played Zula. Not a huge, um, not a film that sort of relied on the script. The the the. Lyrical script, overly. She didn't have a lot of lines, but she was very, very memorable. She was great within that context, like perfect. Um, In 85, she would do a view to the kill as well, playing Mayday. And it really, that really, because she was doing a Bond film, that really kicked off the the acting career things. Her focus sort of moved to acting for a long while after that. But we're going to play something from the album Slave to the Rhythm. We're going to play the title track.
3: Rhythm is both the song's manacle and its demonic charge. It is the original breath. It is the whisper of unremitting demand. What do you still want of Says the sing? Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Grace Jones, Slave.
1: Now, this is the one, Slave to the Rhythm, this is the one you were talking about, Sammy, where they've sort of like um, cut up and sectioned her um, hair and also her mouth to give her this like impossibly wide mouth, like really iconic uh, image.
2: Produced by Trevor Horn. Yeah. And you hear that.
1: Yeah, that's it. The
2: fucking production is amazing.
1: Beautiful, really established track.
2: You know, amazing. This is the song that I think a lot of people would have taken notice of um, before anything else.
1: Well, I think a lot of mainstreamers might have taken notice of it. Yeah, Yeah. But even the
2: mainstreamers have gone backwards.
1: Yeah. You know what I
2: mean? Like there's not too many people that would know a lot of early Grace Jones stuff. They've heard this in the nightclubs. Yeah. And then they've gone backwards. Um, I... Remember hearing "Slave to the Rhythm" and thinking it was just incredible. It was very Pete Gabriel. Yeah, it was the vi- the video was the same, and um, it was just basically art.
1: Yeah, it was really beautiful. Y- you say that, and that's like such a huge point because it's not as if Grace Jones had a big heap of like top ten hits or anything like that. She's not that kind of artist. It's about the artistry. She's actually very cult, you know, like she's yeah. cult following to the max and it's sort of like the, the, the cult following that she had just happened to be massive. She's one of the biggest cult artists in, in sort of 80s history. Um, But 85 was a really big year for her. Slave to the Rhythm, um, she would do the Bond films, she'd do A View to the Kill. In that same year she would collaborate with Arcadia with um, certain members from Duran Duran and she'd she'd, um, work on uh, Election Day with them, Mm. which is a good track.
3: Mm.
1: And uh, they would also release a compilation album by the end of the year called Island Life. Um, This was her last album that she would do with Island Records. Um, This has an amazing cover. This is her – this is that beautiful – it's a very famous image. It's actually called – and excuse the pronunciation. It's called Nigger Arabesque. It's one of pop culture's most famous images. It's sort of like her doing a big kind of like yoga pose, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, You know that one when she's holding the microphone? Yeah. Um, beautiful image and um, they say that this is, um, you know, one of the most – this is where the sort of album covers became more famous than the music in a way.
2: Yeah, well, it was all designed by Jean-Paul and she was married to him obviously. Well, you know
1: she wasn't with him by this stage.
2: Probably not. No. But the thing is that's who started her career.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. If she
2: hadn't have been with him – there would have been nothing to do. You know what I mean? Like he organised the musicians, the music. I don't know. Bus. I
1: think I think she still would have made a mark, but I think definitely he's one of her collaborators that had a massive, massive influence on her. She was with in and in, in by '85. She was with actually with Dolph Lundgren, and I always think of them. Yeah, together. but she's
2: already got her career started. Oh yeah, you could be with fucking Humphrey B Bear, mate.
1: Whoever you like, you know what I mean. But she's not relying on. Um,
2: I think the French guy was the big fucking the big thing. Like he was the one that went. This is where you need to take your career. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, I don't yeah, actually true.
2: think that she had the greatest direction in the world. You know,
1: no. You can and you can hear it in the music as well. Can't you?
2: I mean, the musicianship and stuff like that, like enslaved to the rhythm, and even before. Before that, you got to remember that she was hanging out at Studio 54. Yeah. So you got Grace Jones at Studio 54. Yeah. Everyone knows who you are. People want to work with you. Yeah. And there's musicians everywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think the ex-husband had a lot to do with her. I
1: do. Like he was a graphic designer so he would have been like taking care of a lot of the visual element and giving her a lot of the direction. But in saying that, I don't like to take. I don't like to take sort of focus off
2: her. You know what I mean? Well, you're not, because she wouldn't be anything without. Yeah. That fa- that fashion yeah. and that visual.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
2: You know what I mean? There are partners yeah. that work work together, and and without she could have been doing disco tracks for fucking another twenty years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly he right. Saw the creative. You know, the black artist with the leg up and the fucking ice cream in her mouth yeah, or whatever yeah. and he made that art.
1: Yeah, that's right, yeah. It
2: wasn't lo- like the Spice Girls where you just put the music together. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: It was a creative, artistic thing. Mm, mm,
1: yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. Um, so this, she did have an album in 86 called Inside Story um, with a big track called I'm Not Perfect. I wasn't particularly blown away. Oh, I love that track. Oh, do you? I'm Have you included not it? not
2: perfect, but I'm perfect for you. Yeah, right. right. on time. right. Oh, I love that.
1: Yeah, right. Because
2: everyone can relate to that.
1: Yeah, okay.
2: Because you're like going after someone and you're not perfect for them, but you're perfect for them, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah, He's yeah. It's really yeah. clever. Yeah.
2: I think even lyrically – A lot of the stuff was done artistically as well. It wasn't something that you just wrote about.
1: Well, you know, lyrically they used to, when they were collaborating with her, they used to take stuff that she had said in interviews and work it into songs. Yeah. Um Slave to the Rhythm is a really big example of that um, because she's sort of talking about her history and and, and all of that and I think that's an incre- incredible way of going about but, it. But,
2: they, but in saying that, that's what I mean by Grace Jones. There's got to be a lot of people behind her to bring that out.
1: She had a lot of collaborators.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So I d- don't know how much of it was to do with – the fact that she was a model and she was incredible—I think mm. there was a lot of thought behind it. Yeah, even yeah. Visu- visually, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm. But look, any of these performing arts—I always said, it's sort of, like within my teaching, you, you, um, you know, we know these these big iconic artists as sort of solo artists, and we say with this solo artists. They're never fucking solo artists.
2: Well, this They've is got
1: c- massive teams of collaborators.
2: Grace Jones was always known as her as her, as her husband.
1: Yeah. Was yeah it was yeah. never just Grace Jones.
2: No. Nah. It was always the photographer and the stylist and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Because she wasn't the most amazing singer in the world, even though we're going to play a track very soon where she sings it really high notes. Yeah. But this was a collaboration for sure. <laughs> yeah.
1: Let's play the track.
2: All right, so we're going to look at um, the one that I w- want to play is, oh, my God, I've got the hiccups. I'm so sorry. Hold your breath. I've done it 12 times. This is cool. Mm. The song was originally composed and recorded by Australian band. Well they call it a flash in the pan, which isn't true. Flash in the pan. Easy Easy Beats. Yeah. Harry Vander and George Young, which is your ACDC guys.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Now that's a big fucking thing.
1: So this is one this is from the nightclubbing album, this one.
2: Yeah, but the fact is it's Australian.
1: Yeah, yeah, love it. You
2: know what I mean? Yeah. And this is why Aussies really resonated with her because, as much as they were the Easy Beats and ACDC, they did a lot of shit outside of it. Yeah. And this is what made her what she was. Yeah. And you, know you look I mean? at the
1: covers that she was doing when she was establishing her mu- musical career; they were from all around the world. So she she obviously loved music, was listening to a lot of material uh and yeah basically what she did after that sort of co- compilation album i look I, I retract what i said i i do love inside story because she sort of she did it with nile rodgers um who she, she'd been trying to work with for years she did uh, that film vamp mhm um during this time not sure what else she was doing in this sort of latter, latter eighties period, just probably chilling out.
2: Well, see, thinking, 80s was my favorite Grace Jones. <laughs> oh, That's yeah, totally.
1: But but clearly that first five years was really strong. And then I think she just sort of she didn't feel the need to have to establish herself anymore. She just sort of um, enjoyed life, I guess. It would have been really, really difficult in the late 70s, early. 80s establishing her career. Um, uh, and we sort of move then into um, the very early 90s. So the last clip we've got f- to play for you guys, this is from the movie Boomerang. Everyone might know Boomerang. It was a massive hit, Eddie Murphy film, comedy. Um, I absolutely loved it. I remember watching it back in the day. I think I even went out on a date. I oh, would have been very young watching it. Um, boomerang came out in 1992. Eventually, um, Eddie Murphy leads this. There are many scenes with Grace. She plays a character called Helen Strange, who is, I guess, like, um, I guess, like Madonna, where you have that big controversial R uh, female artist who is heading like a a, a perfume promoting a perfume and it's grace jones that plays helen shanger i can tell you that like this is grace mate so this is a scene from boomerang (laughs) and you will know it if you know if you know you know here it is hey listen i know you were a little concerned about how the layout was gonna be and I'm picturing you in these beautiful white sand beaches, right? And these powder blue skies, crystal beautiful water, and you stand in the middle of all of this, looking
0: breathtaking. So, when are we going to yeah. fuck? What? According to Jacqueline, you are really great in bed.
1: Oh, well, Jacqueline told you I was really good in bed.
0: Well, according to Jacqueline, you really know how to move your ass, you know?
1: Oh, she told you I know how to move my ass in bed. OK. OK. Uh, well, uh, I, I don't know what Miss what, what Jack has told you, but it's not that kind of party, and I'd appreciate it if... Hey, hey, what's the matter what you? Stop that. Stop it. Stop it. Will you stop it? Get out of here. I mean, I don't believe this.
0: You are going to turn down a pussy like this. Staring you smack in your face. No man can turn down this pussy. You stopped. I don't know any man that can refuse this. You pussy. Stop saying pussy. People are eating oh, in here. Pussy. 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 Pussy.
1: Pussy.
3: Pussy. Puss, pussy.
1: Trying to find our cat. Where is that cat?
0: What's the matter with you? Stop What's the matter with you? You don't like women?
1: Huh? Yes, that's it. I don't like women. I'm, oh. I'm gay. Gay.
3: You're not gay, you just don't fuck me.
0: I mean, I know a gay man when I see one. I know what a gay guy looks like. My brother is gay. And you, you, he's gay. Oh. And he is gay. Oh. Merde. Toi, tu sais, oh. même pas C'est chier, même pas baisser, pas t'enculer. Tu
3: tu
1: I just love the people in the audience. Oh
2: Yeah, it's a great movie.
1: <laughs> Every time she fucking goes over the top. Well, really she was really controversial. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And she
2: was all like that. Now, just to put it plainly, she did work with Sly and Robbie, which were the musicians, which were incredible musicians. Mm-hmm. And that would have been a thing that she did with Jean Paul. Good Gordy, is it? Good. Good. I think. Yep. yep. Um, I don't know. I I, I guess with Grace Jones she was more of a visual artist. It wasn't about the singing or the dancing. It was a visual thing. So the video clips and the album covers all rolled into one. It's like a performance
1: artist. That's right. Like you can't say she's one thing or the other. Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
2: But in saying that, the music was incredible.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know what I mean. Yeah, like you don't, you don't. If you to describe Grace Jones to to an alien, you wouldn't say she was a singer. No. Yet it's like you look at the fucking releases. It's like uh, there's an album every year, and they they're really strong.
2: Yeah, well, that's right. And you would see a lot of this stuff played on like rock arena mm. at the late. In the late late at night, yeah, they wouldn't actually. Pl- I mean, pull ups of the bumper was probably the only one that went commercial, yeah. With slave to the rhythm, but um, it was very artistic and it was very nouveau. Like everyone didn't know what was happening. It yeah, was like, what's happening? Yeah, how is how is this working? Yeah, you know? exactly. But when you look back at the on the records, the musicianship and the playing and all that stuff, yeah, It's amazing. Yeah. You know,
1: totally. Um, she would have, you know, after sort of after the success of Boomerang, which gave her a whole sort of career another another little boost. She would do certain projects, but um, um, began, I, I guess, sort of drifting back and just enjoying her life. Really, she's still out there performing though. She just released, um, just released a track with Janelle Monae. I couldn't fucking remember her name before. Um, But just this year she's released a track. We're not going to play it on the show though. Go out and seek it out, guys. And while you're seeking it out, listen to the rest of her albums. They're they're incredible. They really are. We love Grace Jones. This has been a huge pleasure sort of looking at her work and her music over time Um, and obviously a massive, massive influence on heaps of artists.
2: That's right. So we're going to play this last track. Have we already played this song? I'm getting fucking confused. Her final
1: album of the 80s was called Bulletproof Heart by the way. Beautiful cover. It's the one where she has sort of like lit um, yellow eyes and it's very, very dark. Like really beautiful cover. Mm. Yeah. So that's where it ended. In, but we've in
2: played that. the French one, haven't we? Love Lovey and Rose. Yeah. yeah, we have played that's that French. That's from beautiful. her first album. Um, yeah, look, Grace Jones for me was art. I don't think I saw her as a musical thing until I got very much older. Yeah. And I knew that there was a partner involved. I knew that there was a photographer involved and the whole thing. When you went to a lot of hair shows in Melbourne or like hairdressers would have hair shows, a lot of her music was played and that was the thing. We only learnt about Grace Jones through very artistic areas of Melbourne. Yeah. She was very artistic. Loved her.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Huge icon. We all love her, guys. I hope you've enjoyed the episode, guys. Um, she mean, means a lot to us. She's she's absolutely amazing. So, um, we um we are coming into just a few more weeks into doing our live show with Rewind 80s at Northcote Theatre. It's October 21. Tickets are selling very quickly. Mm. Get on down, guys. It's going to be incredible. Really amazing night if you're in Melbourne. Um, and, uh, yeah, I can't stress it enough. It will sell out, so grab your tickets early.
2: Absolutely. So we'll be playing some Grace Jones, I'm pretty sure, down there as well.
1: Yeah, you know? for sure.
2: She was huge in the club the club scene.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, I've sung Pull Up to the Bumper, I've sung Slave to the Rhythm, I've sung My Jamaican Guy, believe it or not. Yeah. And it was a real hairdressing, nightclubbing kind of adventure. Yeah, you yeah. Because yeah. it was Which fashion,
1: was fashion, you know.
2: Everything to do with fashion.
1: Yeah. Brilliant.
2: Amazing. I can't believe I've got the hiccups. <laughs> How has that happened?
1: Oh, drinking too much, I guess.
2: Well, we didn't have that much. <laughs> I'm just a one-pot screamer. <laughs> no,
1: I love it. Good on you guys. Thank you very much. Thank you. Huge thanks to all of our subscribers and our Patreons, guys. Become a patron for as little as $1.50 a month. For $10 a month, you get all the extra episodes. So why not? We're just about to record one now. We We're are. pissed. Samuel will have hiccups not have the hiccups for them because we're going to smash it but um we we love you Bash we love you out. guys <laughs> we love you guys thank you all around the world we'll be talking to you very soon listen out very soon in the next episode for another segment of our um, 80s trivia We're yeah. going to call another We're going to
2: call another Subscriber
1: Patreon. or a Patreon Patreons mm. we're going to call That's what we're going to do mm. We love you Thank you If it's music mateys All Cool
2: shit from the 80s <laughs> I knew you'd a hiccup in the fucking I can't thing. believe it I can't <laughs> get rid of them
1: We're going to talk about it
2: Unreal